So this evening we're going to experiment with something that we've not done before, which is to give a joint Dharma talk. Yeah, so a bit of an experiment. Um, and uh, it's relatively unplanned. Um, and so we'll see how things unfold. <laughs> um, and we thought that it might be appropriate uh, and um, kind of hopefully resourcing to reflect together on the theme of generosity. Now, partly this is because this is such a foundational theme in the Buddha's teaching and path and really sets the ethos for the whole path. And also because this is a time of year when giving is one of the practices, challenges, opportunities that you know, we, we tend to contend with. And uh, not straightforward sometimes, giving. Um, and there's also something just so beautiful about reflecting on this theme and this theme at this time of year. Because um, it is a kind of universal, isn't it, that, that generosity is um, something we appreciate. <laughs> you know, it feels like um, if you look in at all, all different cultures, generosity is a theme that's encouraged. And certainly, as I say, that you know, in the, the Buddha built or this path or this this path arises from the practice of generosity. That's really the first cultivation that the Buddha recommends, uh, and. We can sense why, can't we? That it really um, creates an ethos. It creates an ethos of connection. It creates an ethos of kind of relationality, honoring other living beings, people, other living beings. It also creates an ethos of releasing and, and letting go. And in the Buddha's sequence of uh, themes in the path, uh, this, this practice of, of dana, D-A-N-A, which is the Pali word for, for uh, generosity, out of that grows the practice of ethics, and, and I, like, I love how the word ethos and, and the word ethics are so kind of integrally related. And we get a sense that the Buddha's ethical teachings are arising from the sense of generosity. You know, this is not about a kind of moralism. Uh, the, the Buddha's teachings of, of ethics and care for each other are about relationality and, and recognizing the... Uh, you know, in a sense, the sensitivity that that we have, and the the generosity of living a more caring and ethical life, you know, as a gift, not as a a kind of 
ought or should, but as a gift, as a gift to ourselves, to those around us, to all sentient beings, potentially. And this path of, of generosity and ethics unfolds into the domain that we've reflected on quite a bit, this retreat of, of samatha or samadhi or, or the mental training, the gathering of the, the heart-mind, the steadying of the heart-mind, the nourishing of the embodied heart-mind, as we're now calling it, uh, and that that gives rise in turn to insight. That, that in so many ways, uh, insight grows out of generosity and ethics and this cultivation, insight, liberating insight. And if one looks at um, the descriptions of the Buddha's teachings and the, the lifestyle that he recommended for those who've practiced the teachings, the flowering of insight, the flowering of awakening is generosity, <laughs> is service, is compassion, is, is giving, is a relational uh, care and, and engagement. And so in a beautiful way, this, this teaching, you know, if you, go to, if you go to Thailand or Burma, some of you have May have may have seen this. I, I've just read the kind of evocative reports in, uh, of of some of our our teachers who spent time as monks and nuns in those countries and described going kind of walking through the the paddy fields uh, in the kind of dawn mist in Thailand and going into the villages and and really this very humbling experience of of the generosity of the village people and, and how children, often it's the children who are encouraged to put you know, the spoon of rice or the piece of mango or the, the uh, you know, whatever it is, the food into the bowls of the monks and nuns. And so in these kind of cultures that have been quite steeped in Dharma over centuries, over millennia, there is a sense of just from, from, from childhood how uh, this principle, this orientation to generosity is really encouraged, is really encouraged. And so it's the kind of very kind of be beginning of, of the path, the very beginning of the path. And it is the fruition of the path. <laughs> and it sets the tone of the whole path. You know. And so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's something so... Um, we kind of get into the, the heart of the practice when we reflect on generosity. And just to kind of acknowledge also that there can be a certain, um, you know, the fact that in, in uh, the insight meditation tradition, in, in, in the monastic tradition, this word dana can just become narrowed to sometimes just the offering that's made at the end of a retreat or the offering that's made to monks and nuns. But actually, really, we thought, you know, to talk about it tonight to kind of open it up because it's such a broad and inclusive field, such a, an integral orientation in this whole path. <laughs> so, so 
Slight advantage here. It was his idea. <laughs> and he did it before. But I'm really up for it. I just <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> it's like, oh, how okay now. <laughs> So maybe, maybe, maybe just pause a minute and contemplate, contemplate, bring to mind maybe a situation or several situations you have been generous today. You know, and this can be Generous to yourself, generous to a human, generous to a non-human, generous to your environment. Just really see if you can evoke, bring to your memory a moment of expression of a generous heart. You know, really being aware, you know, there are so many expressions of being generous. You know, we can be generous with our material things, of course. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our capacity to listen deeply. We can be generous with our willingness to share deeply. We can be generous of giving each other space. We can be generous to give each other silence. We can be generous of giving each other or giving to another this moment of human contact you know, where there's just like this crossing, you know, this meeting of eyes, you know, and there is this acknowledgement of another or smile. Equally, sometimes it can be generous to really, again, as I said, to give each other space, to really acknowledge, honor someone else's wish, to be really, be quite internal. Oh, we can be generous with our knowledge and, 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 and. So, 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 so many different ways of being generous, of being, receiving generosity. You know, we can be generous, or I think, you know, one could say actually this intention of non-harming, you know, it's very often referred to as a precious gift. We give each other as a precious gift of people can feel safe around me. People can relax. Yeah. So many, 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 many different ways of expression of the generous heart. So when you evoke a moment of generosity, however small, however big, however spectacular or non-spectacular, what happens? What happens when you evoke it? Anyone, anyone would like to 
has the courage to trust, even if it's a word, into the group. Smile. There is a joyfulness in the being. There is a joyfulness in the being, absolutely. It actually lightens up the being when we remind ourselves of acts of generosity. You know, and it's actually one of the tips the Buddha gave when the practice gets a little bit dry and dire, and here I go again, you know. He said, actually, if this happens, just start bringing to mind acts of generosity. You, com you committed. <laughs> it's probably not the right word. Is it the right? Could you say it? Yeah. Um, acts of generosity you expressed, you know, and there is an immediate uplift. You know, there is an immediately sense of well-being, actually, of joyfulness in the, in the being. There is an immediate opening, a softening, which again, you know, what we have pointed to actually supports our deepening, our practice, our samadhi. And I, uh, what I found really, um, found really, really interesting, you know, you probably know this, this saying, you know, because you can, I think you can get it on stickers, you know. Um, and I have it <clears throat> since many years, I have it uh, wherever I live, you know, I have it somewhere, I have it in my, in my abode. And it's a saying, it's a, it's a saying um, which goes something along the lines um, um, uh, saying by the Buddha, if you know as I know, if you know as I know, and really again the sense of knowing, deeply knowing something, the power of generosity, you would not let go one meal unshared. You know, and I was always really, and I'm still in, when I'm hearing this, there is something which really, really touches me. It doesn't say you should, or you better are, or, you know, there is actually not at all a demand, but there is like, if you know, if you would know as I know, I know something deeply here you know, about the power of this quality. If you would know it as I would do, you would not let go one meal without sharing it. And I'm really interested, and I won't, you know, it's not that I will give you the now need, need answer. I'm still really interested in this exploration. What is this knowing? What is this knowing, actually? What is this knowing? And to really explore it to, you know, to further and further depth. So apparently once when the Buddha was asked, when should one give? Again, he didn't answer, you should give always. Or giving is good or... Um, you know, or whatever, you know, when someone asks you to give something, you should give. Again, the answer is so, uh, I think it's so profound and somehow also in enigmatic. 
You know, apparently the answer was one should give when heart, mind feels moved to do so. Interesting. You know, it's really, really interesting, you know, when the heart, mind wants to do it. So there is actually, there is no demand, no obligation that you should give. There is already, again, you know, um, there is already a, a, a sense of freedom even in this. Give when the heart feels moved to. And I think, and then I stop, Chris, and then I think we hand over, yeah? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe just one, just one last thought from this, you know, with this thing, when the heart feels moved to, <clears throat> you know, when I really sense into this, when my heart feels moved to, so one, 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 um, one, one reflection that comes up for me in this context. I feel moved to give if I inhabit a place of sufficiency. I feel moved to give when there is an absence of lack when there is a sense of enoughness, when there is a sense even of abundance, which somehow um, does not seem to correlate with material wealth I'm having. Something interesting I discovered, you know, and I, can I tell a story which I told several times before? So now we go, um, so, and, and some of you have heard this before because it was such a profound, profound insight for me. Some years ago, I was reading a book and it was called, I think it was called, um, oh God, I, I think The Soul of Money. And in the beginning of the book, um, the author described, you know, the, how we live in an environment, in a belief, or, or let's say the belief is fed, is actually really quite consciously fed of insufficiency, of not being good enough. You know, it's never just enough, which is really, really good because this keep, keeps the market going, you know. You know, it's, but we need to, we need to um, create needs, you know, so-called needs, so that um, we, we continue consume, to consume and look for the next thing to fulfill this lack. And again, you know, like a lot, a lot of, our, of, our, of our market economy is geared to this, of creating this sense of it's just not enough, get this. Anyway, so then this, the author uh, wrote, um, so we are, we are made to believe really very deeply in this sense of insufficiency, of just not enough. And again, there was a little bit more to this, but to just cut it short. And then she said, what would, be, what would it be to just actually receive that what one has as sufficient? 
And in this moment, which was really quite an epiphany for me, you know, I was sitting in, in, in the house I was renting that I really still know where I was sitting. And I put the book down and I didn't, I don't, I didn't have an easy relationship with money and the force. And I just had this sense, I have enough. I have enough. And there was something really shifting, really, 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 really shifting. Yeah. The interesting thing at this time was I ended one job and I started another one. And after this decision that I had enough, you know, I, I again, in, in not spectacular means, but I, you know, I said, okay, I'm just donating now some money. You know, I feel like really rich. I want to give something away. And then again, it was, I just feel moved to give now. This is what it was. I feel moved to give. Some months later, I got, you know, and I've, I would say I feel really, 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 actually I have enough. I have enough money. You know, I'm, 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 I feel rich, which I didn't feel before. Some months later, I got my end of tax return thingy, you know, P, whatever you call it. And when I looked at the two, two ending of the years of my two different jobs, I earned half of what I earned before. You know, and it was just so interesting to see this. It's like it just was, it failed again, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make it. It's, of course, it's more complex on one level, but it did not, this, uh, the sense of sufficiency, of enoughness for me in this moment was so clearly not in connection of how much money I actually had on the bank nothing, nothing to do with it. Yeah. And, and we, we can see just how much, how, how this relates right to the core of the Buddha's teachings, the Four Noble Truths, you know, where he identifies in the second noble truth or ennobling truth that the, the origin of dukkha, of dissatisfaction, distress, unsatisfactoriness, suffering, however we, we kind of translate or feel that, is this kind of wanting things to be different from how they are. Can we, can we kind of feel that? You know, just that, uh, uh, you know, wanting things you know, wanting to get things that are not here, wanting to get rid of things that are here. And we were reflecting in one of the groups this afternoon how those are kind of, they, they co-arise, don't they? You know, if, if I don't like what's here, part of that is the wanting something different. And if I'm wanting something different, I don't like what's here, you know. And, and that we can see just how much that kind of, what he called, cr is translated sometimes as craving or, or kind of, craving and aversion together, how much that is fed by the ideology of insufficiency, isn't it? You know, the, the larger sense of, of me as a separate being that doesn't have enough. And, and how in that way, generosity, you know, making that the ethos of the path, making that a daily cultivation in a kind of systemic way in our lives 
counters the tendency to that sense of not enoughness. Can, do we, can we feel that? You know, because we sense that this perception of abundance, or some of you, you know, have been practicing with this sense of contentment this, these few days, you know, actually it, it's a reperception of how things are right now. As, as Kirsten's describing, it's a kind of re-perception. It's, it's exchanging a perception that kind of, there's never enough, you know, from the perception of craving or insufficiency, nothing is ever going to be enough, you know. And in Buddhist iconography, you see these images of the hungry ghosts. Would you, have you come across these in these Tibetan wheels of life? They have a whole domain, and these are kind of, kind of poignant beings to contemplate. Um, if you walk through any shopping precinct at this time of year, it feels like, you know, that, maybe that's a bit. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be. I was going to talk about Scrooge in a bit, and I don't want to sound like him. But in this, these kind of beings that are said to be really—they're pictured as being really—have kind of large stomachs and pinhole mouths. And on some of the images, they have kind of knives sticking into the stomach, which kind of illustrates just the pain of this mentality that, you know, I can get into, that probably any of us can get into, where no matter how much I'm trying to feed in, there isn't enough to satisfy the appetite. And these kind of rather sobering depictions of them in, in these barren landscapes. You know, with the trees looking like they do, you know, where the rainforest has been chopped down. You know, these scenes of kind of ecological devastation. And we see that in many ways, you know, our culture can feed the hungry ghosts in us. You know, and can encourage a self-view of, of feeling separate. And, and you know, what, what is the subtext of every advertisement we've ever seen? that you're not enough until you get this shampoo or, you know, pair of socks or whatever it happens to be, you know? And it's, we get this message it's a lot of times, don't we? If we can't remember the statistic for how many adverts most young people have seen by the age of 18, you know, we're training ourselves and our culture in something rather different from those villages in Thailand where the young people are being encouraged to practice generosity. You know? and, and this is not, you know, we can't um, separate our own heart, mind, bodies from the larger ecology, can we? You know, this, this path often talks about, you know, the Buddha talks about going out and finding a place of solitude, relative seclusion to practice. And we have to remember that that was going out of a culture where there was a great deal of interconnection. People were living together in, and there was more kind of social identity as far as we can tell. In our culture, often we already feel lonely. You know? And this is one of the great importances of Sangha, isn't it? Because Sangha can often give that felt sense of kind of enoughness. <laughs> you know, connection that, that can counter the hungry ghosts in us. You know. 
Does this make sense? Can you sense this? It's, you know, these are very um, archetypal um, tendencies of the human heart-mind that are being pointed to. And it does feel as if around, you know, giving, giving can be complicated, can't it? And I hope I'm not the only person who finds this. <laughs> you know, and, and it's really, you know, this can sometimes get heightened at this time of year around Christmas, can't it? Where, where we're around family relationships which can be truly wonderful and truly complicated, you know. And, and where all those complexities can come into the field of kind of giving and kind of working out what I'm going to give to whom and, you know, how do I feel about that? And, and it's so easy, isn't it, to kind of feel the, the unease of that sometimes around, the anxiety around it, you know, and, and to feel how... Uh, those kind of complexities and kind of almost psychodynamics, you know, the, the kind of interpersonal complexities can, can make the giving, um, you know, a lot of me maybe wanting to actually withhold in this relationship rather than give, you know. Or, you know, the sense of overgiving, you know, which... Which I think when the Buddha says, you know, give when the heart-mind feels moved to do so, that requires some discernment, you know. Because there can be a codependence in giving, can't there? There can be a way in which, you know, uh, the, ang- the anxious kind of overgiving um, that may not be uh, a pattern that is so helpful to feed. And, and how do we make those choices? How do we bring mindfulness to that? And often the body is really helpful, I notice. Has anyone else noticed that? That, you know, that sometimes the body, I had this experience last week of, of, of uh, giving, to, uh, giving to a godson. And... Um, I know that there's a bit of ang- anxiety in my, he's kind of 18 and we're kind of working out what our connection is and, and I, I, I probably a little bit overgave and did it in a bit of a hurry because I was feeling, um, you know, a little bit anxious about it, I think. And just really felt afterwards, ooh, that, that wasn't quite what was intended, you know. And actually, really, to kind of tune in to uh, tune into how I was feeling, and and tune into actually, I might want to just communicate with him about what just happened, you know, and actually having good communication with him, and just acknowledging, you know, our changing relationship and all of that, and and the body so helpful around that, so helpful as we kind of if if you do Christmas and Christmas gifts or other kind of festival gifts just to kind of tune in and sense, okay, what feels like it, it is an arising of, of generosity rather than a generosity who, which has these kind of near enemies, you know, as the Buddha described, these heart qualities can have these near enemies of kind of stinginess or kind of somewhat unconscious 
in my case, kind of overgiving on this occasion. So, you know, this this is a practice. <laughs> this is a practice, and at this time of year when things are speeding up, often it can be helpful to slow down and just tune in and sense, okay, what feels appropriate? What what can be uh, an expression of of generosity in this relationship? Knowing, and then I I will be quiet. Um, I, I <laughs> 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 the Buddha was was really clear that actually it's not what's given that matters. This word dana describes really the kind of, if you like, the external gift. And he had another word, chaga, for the internal sense of generosity, the internal sense of, of giving, and really encouraged the listening to that, you know, which kind of endorsing what Kirsten was saying about it's, it's not kind of the... Im- amount it's not the kind of material value that counts it's the what's the heart from which this comes and so one of the buddha's other pieces of advice around generosity was be mindful of the mental state before giving during giving and after giving and and really listen to that and kind of practice with that and kind of purify that in a certain way by listening more deeply into what what actually is a gift of generosity. Yeah, I, I think what comes from right now is two responses. So one is maybe to that giving can be complicated and cumbersome and a little bit awkward and at times a little bit off and disconnected. You know, and that one one of the aspects of generosity is actually something deeply relational and connecting. And also that actually receiving (laughs) can be quite complicated and really, really difficult, you know. Very often I find, again, speaking with people and also looking into myself, actually, we, we find it easier to give than to receive. Yeah. It's a really interesting, really interesting dynamic that is going on there. You know, and again, all kinds of, of things can play into this, you know. And I might be able to pick them up or I might just hold them and they will never come out of their parking area. But um, I think what I found really, really interesting and again, something which really had actually quite a profound impact on me, like when I was now 20 years ago, I was working here as a, as a coordinator and um, I was working in the garden and I um, hurt my lower back and I was... Uh, for for quite some time, I had a history with lower back injury. I was um, absolutely immobilized, you know. And when I when I started to walk, I walked like someone who was really, really good in really, really slow walking meditation, <laughs> 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 which really impressed a lot of people. But was basically pain induced, you know. And I shuffled my way to the food queue 
and I really needed a lot of help, especially in the beginning for everything, like dressing and everything. And I had such a, such a hard time with this, such a hard time with this. And back then, uh, Christ, um, Martine Batchelor, she was uh, um, the teacher I, I met regularly with. And she just said simply, and it was such really such a shift, you know, said, you know, you have to see it like when you're asking for help, you give someone the gift of being generous. And it was so beautiful, you know, because actually, again, when we sense into our being, you know, when we actually have the opportunity to be of help, it's so delightful, isn't it? You know, when someone comes, you know, and sometimes it's even something like profane and mundane, like someone asks you for, you know, how to get from A to B, and you can actually answer. And there is something delighting, you know. I can actually be of help, you know. And I find this a very, 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 very um, good reminder, you know, when, when, when one is in a, in a place where we need help. You have to really say, oh, I'm giving, you know, right now I'm giving, or I'm giving someone the opportunity to practice generosity and to delight, to delight in this. And there is something, uh, again, we mentioned it several times, in this relational quality, it's a relational quality where we have to stay attuned to ourselves. You know what Chris just referred to, like really good to check with to the body. And we are actually asked to stay in relationship. So again, many years ago, I, I lived for several times month in Sri Lanka near a small monk hermitage, one could say. And there was one of the Buddhist festivals when the monk would get a lot, a lot of food offerings. And so he asked me and my, 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 my then partner to to accompany him on what, what is called pinapada, which is the arms round. So we would like, you know, we would like shuffle behind him like about 10 meters, you know, and, and we would then, he would then give us the, the, the food which he couldn't fit into his bowl because what was really important was first of all that he was able to receive. Yeah, so like actually to say, oh, thank you, I have enough would have not honored a certain relationship. So this was very, very important. He had to, be, had to come and be able to receive. Yeah? Even if we carried then whatever, three plastic bags. Yeah? So there was this already, already this very relational aspect. Now here, you know, there is a giving and this Giving deserves to be received respectfully, has to be honored. 
And then just really um, standing uh, aside, you know, and seeing these moments of the giving of the, of the food was so beautiful. It was so beautiful, you know, this moment of contact, of weaving, you know, with this gesture, you know, in this gesture, in this ritual, there was this weaving of connection, this weaving of connection. You know, this core, um, I don't want to say in a codependent, but it, there was this interdependence, you know, I'm, you know, I'm honoring, you know, I'm honoring what you are giving me, and with me honoring what you are giving me, I'm honoring also my, um, you know, and like really obligation in the most beautiful way, you know, I, I'm honoring you know, this mutual responsibility here for each other. And I think, you know, in, 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 in a, in a commodity-based um, society, we could say we, we, we got good rid of all this complexity of relationship and exchanging goods. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, here we are, it's a price, I pay it, done. Yeah? Like this whole, whole, actually the whole weaving, the whole weaving of, of connections, the whole weaving of dependency, the whole weaving of um, mutual exchange, of, of, um, honoring what actually each side of the equation is bringing to this relationship is completely taken. And this will absolutely affect that what is exchanged. If it makes a note to, again, to come back to the socks. You know, so, you know, and, and again, my, you know, I'm, might be really interesting, you know. And I was reading yesterday to Chris something along these lines uh, from a book, you know, like a, a, a pair of socks that it given in this way of mutual dependency relationship. We hold them differently. We hold them differently. Like this shawl here, for example, was given to me by my friend Janai, Janai Postelnik, a teacher. You know, and it's, it's, a, it's like, oh, you know, it's like it's a delight. It's a real, I have a relational, you know, there is a whole thing in this shawl for me. Doesn't mean that I become overprotective. Oh, it's my shawl, but it's, oh, how beautiful. Beautiful. With this gift, I'm part of, become part of something bigger. With this generous gift, I become part of something bigger. Does it make sense when I say this? Yeah. Okay, thank you. And, and I suppose what, what you're saying also kind of reminds me of, of, of the kind of vulnerability in a certain way, 
of generosity. You know, when when we really give from a generous place, there is a there is a, a kind of vulnerability, and and to receive really in a kind of mindful way, there's a vulnerability in that, isn't there? And the heart is there's a tenderness around that, and how can we support ourselves in that vulnerability? The vulnerability is a kind of sign of, of health, really, because it's a sign of sensitivity and, and presence, as opposed to just kind of autopilot or kind of impulse, kind of unconscious impulse. And <coughs> we'll probably say this tomorrow, but, you know, the, the grounding practice, very helpful around this. And to really honor and hold with compassion the the inner hungry ghosts and the inner kind of overgivers or indeed undergivers. I've been reflecting a bit today. I had a sense this time of year is is a, a time when story and imagination feel particularly kind of rich and and just was reflecting on the story of of uh, Scrooge and a Christmas Carol, which is I think just such a beautiful such a beautiful Dharma teaching, you know, such a uh, so kind of insightful in the way it's it's written you know and and um kind of acknowledging that that the story of scrooge you know i certainly know that there's a kind of scrooge pattern in in myself you know and i suspect in in most of us because it's a pattern that's connected with fear you know and and the beautiful way in which charles dickens you know tells this are most people familiar with the story of Scrooge and the Christmas Carol. You know this this guy who who uh, um, is is you know we we kind of join him on Christmas Eve in in uh, snowy Victorian London, and he's he's refusing to give to charity, refusing invitations from his nephew to to go to the Christmas party. Uh, grudgingly giving Bob Cratchit, his assistant, a day off on Christmas Day, you know, complaining about it, you know, and and he goes home and is visited by his his partner Jacob Marley, his former business partner who's died seven years before, who arrives in chains and with lots of account books tied to him, and he says, "Look, this is what I created in my life." <laughs> And I want, I'm coming here to warn you so that you don't end up the same way, you know. And, and you know, what a teaching on karma that is, you know, and the fruits of unwholesome intentions, unskillful intentions. And then, you know, he's visited, isn't he, by the three ghosts, you know. One, the ghost who so kind of insightfully highlights his past, Scrooge's past, and, and the kind of unloving father who sent him off to boarding school after his mother died, and, and the loneliness, and the, the, the kind of heart-closing events of his young life, like his sister dying. You know, one, one gets a sense that this kind of inner 
these inner hungry ghosts, you know, they come about for good reason. You know, they're kind of a protective mechanism that come because of hurt and loss. They've come to kind of harden us up against the vulnerability of relationality and of really loving. And, and you know, then in, in the, the Christmas present, the ghost shows him Bob Cratchit and his family and, you know, how they're making, they have a kind of a, uh, a loving family Christmas with so little. And he's so touched by Tiny Tim. Do you remember? The little boy who, who somehow seems to echo Tiny Ebenezer, you know, in a certain way. And it's... And, and he has a sense that Tiny Tim probably won't live because of lack of medical care. And one really gets a sense how that kind of something gets through, something touches him. The, the, a sense of compassion, you know, that, that come what, you know, isn't it extraordinary often how even when our hearts are kind of hardened and armored, sometimes something just evokes this sense of compassion. You know, just evokes this sense of, of being touched. And, you know, he, he, he's invited to, to reflect with the, the ghost of Christmas yet, yet to come on, on the kind of potential for him to die a lonely death and for people actually to be glad that he's died. You know? And he's kind of asked in this kind of rather graphic Dharma talk that the, 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 the ghosts take him through, kind of you know, three-part retreat in one night, you know. <laughs> he, he's kind of asked to, to reflect, yeah, not, uh, uh, yeah on the past and, and on the present, what's here, and kind of where is this leading? What streams in the being do, does he want to feed? You know, because the, the, there's the basic principle of the Dharma that whatever we feed grows. Whatever we feed grows. If I feed the inner hungry ghost and, and the inner Scrooge, you know, well, the ghost of Christmas yet to come kind of highlights where that leads in terms of a sense of isolation and disconnection and anxiety and competition and resentment and envy and... You know, and, and, and yet the skillful way in which Dickens and the ghosts kind of nurture the sense of compassion in him, nurture that sense that actually he can cultivate something else. That's a, that, that the heart-mind that we've been reflecting on can so easily get hardened into grooves. It can also, with skillful intention with the right ethos with the touch of kindness and the touch of care and curiosity and aren't these what we've been cultivating over these days you know what can happen what can happen and and a choice kind of a new choice opens up a new sense of possibility becomes available a new sense that actually this is something that I can cultivate. And that's, you know, he opens the shutters. Oh, it still moves me to, to think of it. Opens the shutters on Christmas morning. You know, a changed 
man and heart and senses the joy in giving. Senses just, oh, this is where it lies, you know? I thought it lay in trying to hoard it and hold it in and protect it, you know? Actually, the joy is from the giving of it because that enacts a different paradigm, you know? It enacts not the, the ideology of lack and insufficiency and competition, but it, it enacts the paradigm of abundance, the mythos of abundance, the ethos of abundance, you know? Just a shift of perception with a bit of help from three ghosts, you know? And this is, you know, this is what's available to us. This is what we've been engaged in for the last three days, you know. And uh, isn't it beautiful how the, the, when we contact a sense of joy, some of you have spoken about this, contacting the sense of joy or appreciation, the heart opens and, and wants, to, wants to give, you know. And as with so many themes in the Dharma, it works the other way. When we give and cultivate the sense of abundance, joy comes. Last words to Kirsten. I'm going to turn off the microphone. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just listening. I, I, yeah, there is a joy of abundance. And yeah, just listening to you was, I think, also like a big part of the joy and the happiness is actually that one steps out of an isolated place into a participatory place. You know, like what I said before, one is more interwoven or one knows more. This, so like uh, this, this interwovenness into life. So that actually on to some level then the whole idea of I am giving crumbles a little bit down, you know, I just had this sense, you know, because, oh good, I'm giving and then I'm, ha no, but there is actually something else in the giving, there is also like somehow a receiving, I'm actually now also receptive, something around this, just listening when you were speaking, and I think this is what is actually so delightful, what I said before and what she said before, it's this, we are becoming more consciously um, part of something that is we are part of. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> we are part of. If we if we know it consciously or not, and I think maybe one of the um, big sadnesses. Um, of, of our time is that we really, really have forgotten this, actually have forgotten this. We have removed ourselves. Again, I don't want to now speak personally, I just mean more generally, you know. Um, we have removed ourselves from this participatory web and with it always will come responsibility. I think this is also part of it. You know, it's a responsible participation. Which is beautiful, I think, if we really 
you know, when we are experience it in whatever way, it's so, so beautiful. You know, the sense of giving and taking, which actually doesn't even make sense, you know, it's just this exchanging of don't even know exchanging of what needs to be exchanged. <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Really, really lovely idea. And I have a good, I have a good ending. With, I think I have a good ending. It's not my ending. So I got a, this is when I'm tired. Things come out when I don't mean to say it. wanted to say it more poetically. There is a beautiful, um, again, a beautiful exclamation by the Buddha who goes, do not fear generosity because generosity is another word for happiness. So, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. Mm-hmm.